you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace, you can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hi. Hi, this is Gwendolyn Galsworth. Here I am again, your host at The Visual Workplace, our weekly radio show where we explore and celebrate the principles and practices, concepts and tools, methods and strategies, people and results of workplace visuality. Letting the workplace speak. Welcome. I'm really pleased that you are spending some of your very precious time uh, listening and learning about uh, the visual workplace. In each show, we look at some aspect of that, of how to embed the intelligence of our operational system. That intelligence already exists. How to embed that into the landscape of work through visual devices, through visual mini-systems, through embedding these principles of seeing and these principles of recognition, these principles of intelligence, of how the brain works, really. Why? so that we can reap the huge benefits of doing so and enjoy ourselves along the way. The whole concept of work that is evolving over the last, uh, I'd say, 70 or 80 years is that work can be enjoyable. You can actually go to work and express yourself, find a way to make a contribution, certainly to your mortgage, (laughs) but also to the larger society and through your work, through your company, whether you're in a service industry, working in a hospital, working in a factory, working on designing products. This is work. And when we find the right alignment between our work and uh, ourselves, this is an enjoyable process as long as the struggle is minimized. The struggle meaning the interruptions, the things that we can't find, the incomplete, um, inaccurate, insufficient, late information that we need in order to continue. The visual workplace is about addressing the issue, which is rampant. It's everywhere. The issue of information deficits, missing information. It can be missing because it's incomplete or simply not there. It can be missing because it's inaccurate or it's not recognizable. It's not easy to access. It is uh, too uh, abstract, remote, or hidden in a binder. So the visual workplace is there to take the struggle out of work and to make work, which is the subtitle of my show, to make work make sense. And this is certainly not just for operators and for line employees. For value-add associates, this is for supervisors, team leads, this is for managers, engineering managers, VP of operations. There's a whole segment of workplace visuality that addresses the needs, the informational, immediate informational needs of um, executives. We call that visual leadership. But when this model gets deeply embedded, what happens is that we, each of us, each category of function, become we become self-leaders. Why? Because we have a relationship with the physical environment and that physical environment informs and instructs us. And why? Because we put those 
that information and those instructions in. We built our own intelligence into the physical landscape of work. That journey does begin with 5S. You can be sure of that. Sorry, I'm just reaching for one of my books. That journey begins with 5S. 5S, the purpose of 5S is to prepare the physical environment to hold physical information, visual information, if you will, information of the senses. So we must be very robust about that application. But it is also to put the visual wear in place. And there is a also put into place for every category of organizational level, every level of, of, of employee. By level, we mean from executive to the shop floor. And remember that we call shop floor associates value-add associates because it has long been recognized that that is where the actual value that the customer wants to buy is installed, is embedded. So um, over the past few months, we've spent a good deal of time exploring the importance of 5S and how it fits into the visual workplace paradigm. We've uh, positioned that function, which I call visual order, visual inventiveness, or the visual wear visual inventiveness, as the first indispensable step on a company's journey to a fully functioning visual workplace. And I hope I've shown you the extent to which 5S can cause a revolution, a transformation, both in terms of the bottom line and in terms of cultural alignment. In doing this, I've simply been describing my experience as I've been implementing with clients large and small, ready and stuttering to the start line <laughs> over these past almost 30 years. I think we'll have a big celebration when we hit the, th- the big 3-0, which is coming up soon. It's coming up in 2012. Yeah, it's been almost 30 years. No, I'm sorry. It's going to be in 2013. That'll be 30 years. I started in 1983. I went on my first study mission in 1980, I think it was 1984, and boy, I got blown away. At any rate, I'm describing my experience. Myself, our licensed affiliates and companies where trainers have been trained in these methodologies. And by the way, I want to, I want to, um, uh, mention to you that we offer a wide range of materials that can help you in creating your own visual workplace, fully functioning visual workplace. While I love getting involved in every implementation, if I could, I would, I and my staff have been working for almost a decade now to form our materials and release them into a form that you can use, self-standing, off-the-shelf, fully the same materials that I use when I teach, when I teach and also when I lead a transformation because you don't just want the training materials, you want the background materials. How do you make this go? What's the infrastructure? Which is actually the purpose of today's show. We're doing the second half of the infrastructure. But I just want to um, mention to you again, we have webinars. We have self-standing um, training packages. Of course, we train trainers. Your trainers, if you wish, will come in to your site. We'll do all kinds of briefings and uh, getting people excited, but also showing uh, your your trainers how to how to create a fully functioning visual workplace. And if you want us to, we can be with you every step of the way. We do assessments. We do everything. This is such an interesting field. We want to be full service, and I do believe that we are. So we've been discussing, last time we met, we 
had the first part of creating an improvement infrastructure. How do you put a protocol in place that will actually allow you to move into full functionality, to get off to a strong start, to a strong launch, so that you are gaining strength all the time? That does not mean you don't have problems. Those problems are solved through what's called troubleshooting. You have troubles. These troubles come. You don't see them coming, but you prepare for as much as you can predict. And that's the point of putting an infrastructure in place. Okay? So we've been walking through these 10 doorways that define a visual, that define the functionality of a visual workplace, each doorway representing a specific visual function, visual order, visual standards, visual metrics, visual controls. And yes, that's a very specific definition and not a term that's used to generically refer to visual devices. That's just wrong language. And then on to, then we move on to visual guarantees, visual pull systems, visual guarantees, Pokeyoke systems, etc. So we've spent a great deal of time on doorway one because it's such an important step and because it is so grossly misunderstood, it really is, or incompletely or wrongly used, or incompletely or wrongly implemented. Right now we have put the walk through the doorway on a temporary pause so we can concentrate on the very last thing that I said. What do we mean by correctly and completely implementing 5S and how do we prepare for that at the start? How do we put that infrastructure in place? So we started that discussion on the last show. We started to define what I call a company's improvement infrastructure, a framework or formula for ensuring a strong launch, a strong launch into improvement, and a gradual, steady, powerful build, dealing with troubles along the way and creating a structure that resides in the company as a legacy, a structure that can hold and support the success of visuality, but also moving on to other improvement focuses, whether that's TPM, which has a very strong visual component, as you must know, whether or not that's lean, if in case you haven't started. Visuality and this infrastructure is such a great prep to get you ready to go to lean to create a pull. And this infrastructure allows you to position yourself and go from strength to strength as you move on to your current improvement horizon Again, in our case, it's going to be visuality or the next improvement horizon. It is a structure within a structure. It's the I-beams, the plumbing system, the electrical system that you see in buildings. That's all but invisible, but you count on as working, all but invisible unless it's not strongly in place or stops working, runs into a problem. Last week we got as far as defining what I meant by what I mean by infrastructure. We described the three basic universal outcomes, which I'll just touch upon again in a moment. Well, let me do that right now. The three universal outcomes, which is let's focus on achieving a showcase that captures the functionality of that improvement horizon. So we understand what it looks like and how it functions in our company. And other people can understand that as well, other departments. Perhaps other functions in the, in the company. Let's achieve a showcase level. That means we're going to drill deep. We're not going to do one of those things that in the next nine months, the entire company is going to convert to visuality, all 3,000 of us or 300 of us. 
it can be done in nine months very, very thoroughly with 30 people. It can be very interesting. But with 303,000, you've got to move ahead with care. You've got to be prepared. And you've got to know what's coming at you and be ready. You're going on a trip. You don't just have a map. You're going on a three-week trip. You don't just have a map and a car, a tank full of gas. You also have food or plans for food or money for food. You also have water in the car. You have the detail and you have the big picture as well. So those three basic, the first of the three universal outcomes is achieve a showcase level. Drill, drill, drill into the details of this methodology. This gives you the little micro laboratory for working out all of the stuff that needs to be in place and all of the kind of wiggles that can happen. It is your beta site. Okay, a pilot. The second outcome is to achieve baseline, a baseline set of metrics. Achieve trackable bottom line results. You do that by taking a snapshot your first week. Take another snapshot of, of, of your metrics, of your KPIs a month later and a month later and you begin to see a drift. But today we're going to be talking about the metric that I recommend that you use to tr- specifically track improvement. That will be coming up soon. And the third outcome, the th- third big thing that you want from your your uh, transformations, your improvement transformation, is that people learn how to adopt and embrace an attitude of learning, an attitude of openness, an attitude of tolerance, tolerance for the change, tolerance for themselves as they wiggle through the change, tolerance for others when they go through their own wiggles. This kind of uh, kind of compassionate understanding that none of us, so few of us like change. Even those change monsters like the folks who, who love to climb uh, uh, Mount Everest. I'm a great fan of all of those books. I read them from the comfort of my chair and I get scared as they uh, uh, camp out overnight on the side of a mountain. Even those folks who look like adventurers, believe me, they do not want un, uh, uh, the lack of control when they're on the side of the mountain. They look like adventurers, but they are so prepared for what is known about the journey. They've got their oxygen with them and their crampons. It's the same thing. They're not adventurers. They're just us working in a different environment. And doing amazing things. <laughs> so, um, those are the three outcomes. And right after the break, we're going to slide into a break now. We will go through the uh, central tools or requirements for a strong launch and a sterling rollout. We've named three of them last week. We'll go into the others right after the break. See you in a moment. Thanks. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, 
keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, Visual Edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call one 866 472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi. Hi, it's Gwendolyn again. Hi. So, welcome back. Uh, we're now going to, we just went over the three outcomes that we're looking for in every visual workplace rollout. And now we're going to look at the requirements, what I call the startup requirements. And these number anywhere from seven to eight to nine, depending on how you slice them, but not depending on your company. I consider these to be requirements, whatever your company is. But towards the end, we're going to be looking at the idea of finding and maintaining a focus. And there are certain ways you can slice that so the tools count a different way. But let's let's just start mapping this. We went over a couple of them yesterday. We talked about the importance of establishing a vision place. Before you start for identifying a place that captures the functionality of the outcome that you're looking for. In a visual workplace, what that means is that you find a factory nearby that is already visual and you visit it. You make sure that you know how visual works. But a factory may not be available. There aren't that many, not that many that are deep enough to be called vision places for workplace visuality. So you find something comparable in the community where what is supposed to happen does happen on time every time, day or night, because of visual devices, and you visit that place. So you find a vision place, and that vision place is a place you've actually been where what's supposed to happen has happened because of visual devices. And you want that place to be within, oh, I would say 15, 20 miles driving distance. It might be something like McDonald's. We went over this in our last show. It might be Disney World if you're nearby Disneyland. It might be Home Depot. But you will see visuality there on a very high and intentional level that will show you what it means to let things happen through visuality. And you hold on to that both in your mind's eye because you've been there, but also by frequent visits until you have a showcase of your own. 
that first outcome that we talked about a moment ago, a showcase of your own in your own company. And when I work with groups, when I work with either supervisors, operators, or whomever, I require this. Name your vision place. Think about three or four of them. Pick the one that works best, that inspires you, or that you think is the most cool. Name it. This is your vision place. Here's a camera. Go take pictures. Bring back what you see. Let's talk about it. Okay. So. That's a requirement. You have to know what the horizon looks like before you start shooting for it. This is your – it's not exactly a roadmap, but it certainly is a a picture of Paris before you get on the plane. Oh, boy, I'm going to Paris. This is what I'm going to see. I can hardly wait. And, yeah, I'm going to endure a 13-hour plane ride. I live in Portland, Oregon. In order to get there, it's going to be okay, and I'll endure French people as well, the people at the airport until I get to the very friendly ones in Paris itself. (laughs) I think I stepped on somebody's toe. That's the first requirement. The second is that you name a systematic methodology, that you know the methodology that's going to get you to that destination and that you have vetted that methodology. And this is a careful decision, and as I said in our last show, this is an executive decision. You bring these methodologies in. They're like bringing microbes into a sterile environment. They're going to have an impact. You want to have the right microbes. You want to have the right kind of structure, elements, procedure, something that is robust, that's been proven. And as I said the last time, You choose that methodology carefully, and then you run with it before you adapt it. You run with it three times. That's our formula. Three times you march it through, march it through, march it through, and then you make your adjustments if you you really feel you need them after three iterations. If you do it before, then you're just playing to your strengths instead of your weaknesses. You're just doing what's comfortable for you. You know, when you see a great gymnastic coach, We see a lot of this uh, when the Olympics are around. These great coaches will have a gymnast go through her paces and show where her strengths are. And that coach will note it and say, wow, you're really great at the parallel bars or you're really great on the beam. But you know what? (laughs) I want you to focus on the horse. I want you to focus if it's a man on the rings. And they don't play to the strength. They play to where the, the strength has to grow. And in an improvement methodology, you will try to get away with not changing and you'll just do something that's familiar. So pick out your systematic methodology, select it with care. That's a requirement. The next requirement is, and it's separate from the methodology, that you have excellent transfer materials. And what that means is, in common language, you have great training materials. They are robust in concept, in principles, in models, in examples. You have a way to share the knowledge, but also the know-how, and also the materials are exciting. If, If you are training with materials that bore you, they're going to bore other people as well. You need a robust materials package for visuality. That package must include excellent proven content and wonderful examples, teaching examples. Not tens of them, but hundreds of full-color, splendid examples 
of splendid visual solutions and how they work. We often will just throw what we call a teaching slide up on the the screen and say, tell me what you see. And we make people find the visual principles before we tell them about it. What works about this? What's going on here? What does it do? And what I love to do is also say, now, take the visuality away and describe the problem that it solved. Describe the motion that it eliminated. Tell me what you don't see. I call it inverse thinking, and it's a wonderful skill to develop in your visual thinkers in the making. But you must have great teaching materials. You know, we have great, great teaching materials. <laughs> but you can create them on your own. We don't want you to use our, mater- our um, proprietary content as a base unless you ask us our permission and we say yes or work out an arrangement. But we also know there are plenty of companies, even though we try to make ours very, very affordable, who can't afford us. They don't have the budget or their their boss doesn't really see visuality as being important, perhaps. And so they don't want to fund it or they the funding goes somewhere else. You know, there are lots of reasons and there's no blame here. So you go out and you, you, you see if you can afford a book, get one of my books, uh, Work That Makes Sense is a really good one, and so is Visual Workplace, Visual Thinking. Both of those are full of pictures. And what I want you to do is learn the principles and then go out into the community and find pictures you can take of those of those principles. Go to McDonald's, ask permission if they need to, if they if they want you to ask them first before you take the pictures. And take pictures of these principles. They're already resident in our communities. They're already resident at the airport on our roadways. Do not worry if you work in a hospital and you say, oh, I need hospital examples. No, you don't. You need examples that hold principles. You need the principles of visuality. I never buy into a hospital or um, an office saying, oh, don't show us any manufacturing examples. We hate manufacturing examples. You know I'm not showing you a manufacturing example. Example, I'm showing you the principles of visuality. So let's get past the cosmetics here and look for those principles. You have to, as a trainer, command that. You're in charge of the learning. Therefore, you're in charge of the entry into the learning. Don't apologize if you've got strong principles. That's what you're going to be teaching, the principles of visuality. Okay, so robust, excellent transfer materials that inspire and inform that excite. Give people little cameras and say, go out and find these principles. Uh, let's look for store things, not air in the next week. I want to see at least two examples from each of you, something of that sort. Okay? So that is our third requirement. Our fourth requirement, I call it the accountability requirement, and it has to do with on-site leadership. This is very designed, very intentional. It is a group that has a specific function. Company conversions do not happen overnight, not if the gains are to be sustainable. Your company needs a small team of highly functioning, emotionally sturdy individuals to lead and support your visual transformation. These individuals work mostly behind the scenes. They plan, they support, they assess, they troubleshoot the rollout before and during the conversion process. This is a group of valued associates. 
I'm sorry, I want to say valued employees. Mostly there, there is a component on the associate level, which I will design, uh, uh, define right now. But it's a group of valued employees spanning the organizational levels, willing and able to be held accountable for the progress of the rollout in terms of work culture and the bottom line. I'm working with a group right now in Chicago. We're having this discussion. But let me just, let me just define it for you. We call it, in my company, we call it the three-legged stool. Three separate entities, group, people or groups of people, let's just say, three separate entities that work together to support the targeted areas. The targeted area areas are the seat of, they're represented by the seat of the stool. And these three legs of the stool support that. That's what they're there for. Sometimes there's a fourth leg, but let me name you the three uh, usual legs. Visual workplace champion, visual workplace coordinator, visual workplace steering team. And you can change these names to suit your company, no problem. But I'm going to, re- I'm going to refer to them in that way so that uh, we can define them. And this is a framework that's in place to ensure the monetary and cultural return on the sizable investment of hope and time and other resources that every, every improvement implementation represents and certainly every visual improvement implementation represents. This is a, all of these requirements are of equal and powerful importance. This doesn't take anything away from systematic methodology or great transfer materials or naming your vision place before you launch. But it has a different – the three-legged stool has a different function. So let me define these. I'll get one, one definition in probably before the, um, the break. Leg number one, and we begin with this leg of the stool, is the visual workplace management champion. This is the sponsor of the Visual Workplace Initiative. This is the person who authorized it and signed off on the resources, the time, and the people. This includes working with union relationship if yours is a union shop. And often there's a a co-chair on this championship level with the union uh, leader and the the plant leader. The champion is responsible for resourcing the visual conversion visibly – Supporting the process in a very particular way, which I don't think we're going to be able to get into here in this show. Providing regular top management feedback that's also very particular. And going to bat for the implementation if the need arises. If visual workplace goes, he says to his boss, I go. Yes, it's that important. I mean it, boss. I have vetted this methodology. It's a slow start, but it's a great grab. And it's going to get those results that you are holding me accountable for. Do not. Do not take this away. And once the process is launched, the champion, the champion is there, but mostly behind the scenes. We kind of use him as a Queen Elizabeth. We parade him out and he waves, he says hi, gets everybody kind of happy to see him or her, the ranking site executive. So the management champion is critically important. And we're going to slide into a break now, and I'll pick up with the other two legs of the stool and the fourth one if you uh, have it, if you can have it. Okay, see you in a minute. Hope you find this instructive. This is These are the instructions of the infrastructure. Thanks.
the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. If you are looking for creative ways to improve your bottom line, tune in to Make Your Move with Alan and Brian Bolio. Their proven track record of helping businesses enhance their profitability will provide the basis for a forum about actionable items based on a business person's perspective. The program will be business talk, but with an economic context, so you'll know how to stay ahead of the game. Make Your Move is broadcast live every Monday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi. Okay. So we just talked about the Visual Workplace Management Champion, the ranking side executive who signs off. The second leg of the stool is the Visual Workplace Coordinator. This position is called a coordinator to make it seem kind of uh, mild, but it isn't. This is the monster position. This is the project manager, the person responsible for the logistical and administrative details that support the implementation, the person responsible for coordinating activities between departments, between maintenance and the work areas. That in itself is a task in itself. You've got to line that up. You've got to figure out how work orders that support improvement are going to come into maintenance. This, the coordinator will negotiate time. Hey, can you give me 6% of your time per month? No. Can you give me – what can you give me? Well, I can give you, I can give you about 3%. All right, let's start with 3 but I think it's got to grow. Well, let's work out the procedure. You know, if this really does – visuality really does help we may find ourselves with more time we'll help you out the best we can well okay let's find a work order what kind of what kind of paperwork is going this going to be oh i i i think it ought to be 
a different color than our normal work order. How about phosphorescent pink? Good. Okay, so visual workplace work orders are going to come in on bright pink paper, and you're going to keep track of it and blah, 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 blah. You work it out. The coordinator works that out. The coordinator also collects and graphs the improvement time usage, which we're going to get to in a moment. Very, very important function and serves as an internal coach. This is a big job, and because it's such a big job, we always, always, always ask the coordinator to put into place a group of two or four or six people to lend him or her a hand. We call this the lead team. Call it as you wish. And the lead team is there to support the coordinator in the myriad tasks. Hey, can you take your lunch and go buy me some blue tape or add a blue tape? I need it by 2 o'clock. Yeah, sure, of course, Marianne. Of course we will. And off goes the lead team. The lead team is there as strategic uh, consultants, hey, I need to talk to you about this. We're in a mess here. There's the coordinator talking to the lead team. What would you do? You know, I'm stuck. What am I going to do with this supervisor? Or I got this thought leader who's a line associate and he's just, is there something that's troubling him? we got to find out because everything's grinding to a halt in 2086B. So the lead team there is to help on every level. It's Jiminy Cricket on the coordinator's shoulder. It's also board members advising, coaching, and handpicked by the coordinator. Handpicked. Third leg of the stool is the visual workplace steering team. But this is not in place right away. The other two, the, the management champion and the coordinator, are in place a month, two months, six months before the launch, depending on how much prep time has been set aside. But the steering team comes later. The steering team is made up of hourly associates, value-add associates who volunteer. Value-add associates connected with each of the work areas participating in the process, and they need to volunteer. They're not recruited They're not encouraged. They're not motivated. You slap a piece of paper up and you say to your training group, hey, you know what? We're going to start a steering team as soon as we get some volunteers. We need five volunteers, one from each of the five targeted areas. And if you have a second shift, then you have steering team members on your second shift, your third shift, your eighth shift, however that works. And you got to work this out. You got that's what I mean by your you got to work it out. And this is what the steering team members do. When formed, the mandate is to stay in touch with the implementation. How are things going in each of the areas and across the implementation? Look for ways to strengthen, make recommendations, keep the, steer- keep the management champion and the coordinator in touch with the word on the street. Make sure they know, champion and coordinator, when they are getting missing the mark or when something is brewing that they are missing completely, need to address or need to address differently. This is the word on the street. And the visual workplace steering team, and we'll spend a whole show on, this, on, a steering, on the steering team, I believe, or on the three-legged stool, can become a tremendous source of strength. So those are the three legs of the stool. Remember, the seat of the stool, it's a very intentional structure. The seat of the stool is 
for is the targeted areas and they support. And the fourth leg of the stool will be your trainer or your training function. If you have internal training, if you're not using an outside resource, and we hope you do have internal training, then the trainers are part of this strength. Okay, they're the fourth leg of the stool. And I want to say something else about in general how you implement. And it is this. The first cycle of implementation is a learning cycle for the people who have to lead this change. The first cycle of implementation is so the coordinator, the champion, the lead team, the trainers, if you have them, can learn how to do this stuff. For trainers, trainers are dealing with new material. It is eye-driven. It focuses on empowerment from the very first moment that we begin. It focuses on thinking, thinking a different way, thinking through our senses, seeing the world as a system of visual principles, bringing those principles back into the workplace. So do not expect sterling results from your first cycle of implementation. It's like having your first kid. You're going to do your best, but you know the kid will probably need therapy. Because <laughs> he's your first. You haven't parented before. Most of us, our first kid is really <laughs> the great experiment where we learn how to become parents. <laughs> I wish that there, many of us wish there were schools for Pre-parenting, you have to pass this course before we can allow you to have a kid. <laughs> well, it's the same way with with uh, creating a great change, you know. It's your first time through. You may be inspired. You may be really smart. You may be committed. But by gum, you are going to make mistakes. And you don't even know. I don't even know what those are going to be. They're going to be your mistakes. And you have to recover from that. So your results are going to be impacted, your bottom line results and even your cultural results. I am, even to this day, I think about some of the people who were in my training when I was a very young trainer and some of the mistakes that I made. You know, I used to be a Latin teacher, I told you. When I moved to New York, they had stopped teaching Latin. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they said, you know, you got a lot of credentials, but the best we can do is let you teach uh, second grade. And I was uh, I was looking for a job, so I began to teach second grade, and it it was a different world. And I made a mistake with a, with a third grader once that I remember to this day. And this we're talking 1970. I remember to this day. I remember the look he gave me, and I wish I could go back and do it over again because I was I, I was wrong. I was wrong in a way that was very complete, and and he let me know it. This was a, like an eight-year-old, and he looked at me, and everything passed through us in one look, and I knew I had made a mistake. You know, he was a casualty of my learning, of learning how to work in this new environment. I never made that mistake again. I wouldn't out of honor of him. And that's the way it is. You've got to give yourself a break. This idea of adopting an attitude of learning and openness and compassion, do it for yourself and require it of others. You must require it of others. We'll spend a show on that. So this three-legged stool and the trainers and the first cycle of implementation is very intense learning. Here's another opportunity to learn. Moving on to our next requirement, an official improvement time policy. 
what organization doesn't need to learn how to do that? How to make the distinction between production time and improvement time, so-called work value add time and improvement time. Any company committed to the journey of excellence is running full tilt doing its work or dealing with the struggle. Either company, if either company, either doing excellence full tilt or struggling full tilt, does not establish an official improvement time policy, very little improvement will ever happen. It, in, it's the battle between operations and improvement for adequate time. Operations will always win. That is as it should be. The company is in the business of delivering products and services. Its operations create. Without, but, 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 without an established improvement time policy, the danger is that needed improvement will never happen. Improvement will never turn into a habit if we simply leave it to the willing. To the willing who see the vision burning brightly before them and eke out small pockets of time to make magic happen in their determination to find a way. These quiet heroes do themselves and the rest of us a bit of harm because when they succeed, in improving, in the absence of a clearly defined improvement time policy, they unintentionally send the message that separate time is not needed. It is the wise executive who sees through this double think and takes steps to establish an official improvement time policy nevertheless. The lack, in my opinion, the lack of an established improvement time policy is one of the, if not the greatest corporate roadblock to making continuous improvement a way of life in the enterprise. Okay, so you write an improvement time policy. You say, you know, we're going to do this kind of work. We're going to try. We're going to do this improvement initiative. This is why we're doing it. And in order to do that, we recognize that people is people are working very hard across many shifts, and there's no designated time for you to focus on improvement. Therefore. The management of this company is going to commit up to X amount of hours per week for each employee in in the targeted areas. Mm-hmm. We're going to launch. We're going to try out this policy. You can utilize this time in, as an individual or in small groups and teams, two or three people, and we'll keep track. And as the policy spreads to new departments – we can begin to make continuous improvement a way of life. But we want to ask you to work with us on this because this is the first time we've tried it out. So please, let's see how we're going to implement improvement time. Your supervisor is in charge of the faucet, and this has got to be always the way. Your supervisor has to make, uh, has to make daily production goals and will seek to find the time. So we're going to spend a good chunk of show, a different show, on really going into improvement time policy because it's very important. But I want you to recognize it now, right now, as an important requirement for startup. You have to decide about time. And even in some companies, you're not going to be able to give an hour a week, for example. You're going to have to maybe – you'll decide to shut down every Friday – one Friday a month at 3 o'clock or at 2 o'clock or at 1.30 and do work together. Or maybe in some companies they give one, Friday, one Saturday a month 
You get three hours, you can come in, do your improvement time because we simply can't stop the process. But you have to work this out. You have to work it out. And then after you work out the policy and it's published and it's signed by the management champion and maybe all the supervisors, everybody's name is on it saying, yes, we support it. You have to operationalize it. You have to figure out a way of how to collect time and how to do it in such a way that it's eye-driven, that you're not going around forcing people to use the time, but you're allowing people to find their way. So we have to spend a whole show on improvement time, and we will. But please recognize it as one of the startup requirements. It's absolutely indispensable. And the way to think about it is this. How are we going to find the time to improve? Let's talk about this now. And many of you are doing this by utilizing blitzes or rapid improvement events. But I will tell you, you have not found the muscle that I'm talking about developing when you have an improvement time policy. Because those blitzes and and rapid improvement events are event-based changes. The event itself is what governs the time. Go through the process of can we find time during the day so that visual so that improvement doesn't happen just when we have an event. Now for the folks who are doing it on Saturdays, they are doing it on Saturday in order to create enough margin in their operational system to find time weekly or maybe even daily. Time that's optional for the individual. So we don't have to do everything chunked up together. Please think about these things. They're quite important. And we're going into a break right now. When we come back, we'll look at the uh, final chunk, which is about focusing. We'll do it through a, a map, and then maybe we'll get to hit lists. Okay, see you in a minute. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call one 866 472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi. So I, I actually uh, realized, a uh, wonderful technician who's helping us today, Michael, has just told me that I've run over on everything, so I've got just five minutes to talk about the laminated map. So... I'm going to say goodbye to you now and then just talk about the laminated map (laughs) until I fade away. The laminated map. Okay. One of the early problems in a conversion happens when management bites off more than it can chew. Typically, this means a decision to make a rollout happen too fast and too wide. The organization can't handle that amount of change. And as importantly, it usually has not yet learned how to change or what to change. It doesn't have an improvement time policy. It hasn't learned how to learn, how to stay open, even what it's looking for. It needs to really stay focused. And this situation is addressed through a tool that I developed 
20 years ago, I think. And it's a simple tool, but very powerful. It's called a laminated map. I'm going to be talking to you about using the laminated map, a laminated map on a strategic level. This is a map that is um, a map of your facility that you laminate. It has some detail in it. It doesn't need to have all the electrical detail. It has to have enough detail for you to be able to designate on top of the map with a marker, preferably a a waterproof marker, not not a waterproof marker, not a a permanent marker, but a water-based marker because you're going to be making mistakes where the departments are. And you start mapping out the the departments, okay, working with your colleagues, with supervisors, you put a complete boundary around the entire uh, company and then you start dividing it into its um, departments or natural work groupings. And you cover all the real estate. If there's a loading dock, you cover the pavement as well. If there are aisles, they belong to one department or another or they're all designated as belonging to maintenance but the, every area is claimed, so there aren't any gaps in this. When you finish that, you might have 30 or 40 subsections. You put a blue dot in each of those. You put a blue dot, and the blue dot means we have not committed to improving this area yet. You say no to everything. And that's the whole thing with executive leadership. You have to say yes to the few and wait to the many. We have not committed to implement here yet. And then you go through a discussion, and we can spend a show on this. Let me know if you're interested on how to use the laminated map because there's technology and decision-making and sub-protocols that are pretty well worked out. But in big scan, you then move to a second dot. There's going to be four dot colors, blue, red, yellow, and green. The second dot is red And it simply means let's get started. We have a long way to go. You, with the group of people who own those areas, decide where to begin. And if somebody says, don't touch my area, leave them alone, move to another area until somebody says, I want to do it. You develop a criteria for that, nice criteria. Do we want it highly visible or not visible? Do we want it to be high value add or low value add so we can – you go with the low value add because that gives you a chance to try out the methodology with a low in a low risk situation. Also, make it invisible. Don't let people see us learning, please. Let's put this off to the corner, etc., etc., etc. You focus, and then you move through a criteria that takes you to yellow. In 5S, it means that there's a border, a home address, and if possible, an ID label for everything that casts a shadow. That gets you to yellow. And then you move towards green, where if you're, if, if you're use, developing criteria for, the, for 5S, then it is um, visuality is sustainable. And there are certain criteria for that. So this is a tool for focusing, for saying wait to the many and yes to the few. Let's move forward. And the dots begin to change. They go through this color change and then – you begin, you are able to see where you stand throughout the, throughout the facility through this map. And you can date the dots, whatever. But this is a way for management to stay focused. What have we done? What's left to do? 
And you go, can go further on that in your infrastructure by using a hit list and also by driving through a blitz, through a visual blitz. So we've touched upon the eight elements, if you will, seven or nine, whichever way you want to slice this, of the infrastructure, the requirements. I needed to give you a scan on this because the next time we meet, we're going to be looking at the three winners of the Visual Workplace, our first three winners, 10 Doorway Award. And I want you to know we look for those things. And even though they may not name these items the way I have, the functionality is in place. They are able to drive improvement towards a horizon that is predetermined, preset through a systematic methodology. They have an accountability structure. They have a way to say yes to the many, to, to the few and wait to the many. They deal with time. They know how to drive. They know how to drive. We're driving improvement. We're not letting it just kind of puddle. We're driving improvement. I can hardly wait for our conversation about what I now call Barracuda leadership. (laughs) Such an interesting idea about driving improvement. So much to learn. I want to thank you very much for your attention. I hope this has been sufficiently coherent for you to be able to derive steps that you can take. I know I promised to be more... um, Uh, disciplined about doing that for you, but I haven't learned how to do that yet. I'm going to be modest. I failed. (laughs) I've had a great time with you today. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth, and I say uh, I'm signing off, and I can hardly wait until the next time that we meet and talk, have a conversation about workplace visuality. Hasta luego. We appreciate your joining us this week for The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense. Please tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, featuring your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening.